welcome to Blunder Phonics, where we put music's most troubled productions to tape. I'm Jack Durback. Jack, today is gonna be the day that they throw it out. I'm Spencer Faust. I really can't, I can't keep doing that. Yes, today we are talking about the infamous Britpop band Oasis. Spencer, what is your familiarity with Oasis? It's nowhere near my familiarity with the Beatles, but I'm certainly aware that they exist. I... D- <laughs> Someone approached me and asked me to teach them how to play guitar about, uh, let's say, seven, seven or eight years ago. And I sat down and, and I tried to explain tablature to them because that's all I knew at the time. So they were like, well, can you teach me Wonderwall? So I, I booted up the Wonderwall tab, not having heard the song somehow by 2011, 2012. Um, and I, I, I did a to play what I thought I was looking at. And when I looked back at him, he had a satisfied look. So I was like, that's, that's it, right? And he was, no, but it sounded good. <laughs> Not quite the same song, but it was, it, that was tangentially good. Oh man, I find that great because Wonderwall is like the joke. Like that's the joke response when you're learning how to play guitar. You know, it's any douchebag with a guitar is going to say, you know, I want to learn how to play Wonderwall so I could get all these women and everyone will love me. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. So you were playing something completely different, so you didn't really know what Wonderwall sounded like? Were you not really familiar with Oasis before this episode? No, no, no. See, I didn't know Oasis terribly well. Um, I did listen to this album you've recommended me today. I I listened to that. That was my first big dip into the Oasis, as it were. That was me getting quenched. That quenched my thirst. And uh, first impressions really didn't need that much treble. Really could dial it back just a fucking little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's overcompressed to hell. It's really squashed in terms of dynamics. It does not sound that great. I love a band that requires me to change the mid and treble knobs on my car every time they come on the radio. Because I like a challenge. I want to be able to manage my speed and my tone. Yeah, even though the production of the album wasn't that perfect, in my opinion... It still is one of Rock's most famous records of all time. I mean, it sold 22 million copies. Hamina, hamina, hamina. To put that in perspective, that's how much Adele's 25 sold just a couple years ago. To put that in perspective, that's the size of a small country. I think all of Uruguay (laughs) bought that album. It sold a ton. And that's kind of why we're talking about this album in particular, because it's the typical Oasis record. Truth be told, Oasis has always had problems throughout the entirety of their career, I didn't want to just focus on just one particular period of time because they're kind of sprinkled throughout their history. They would pace their problems over the course of 15 or so years. What you're saying is this is like, this is a gosh upon of blunderphonics. There's too much to choose from. That's right. So let's jump right into the very beginning. The band started off as Rain and it was fronted by Liam Gallagher. As we all know now, Noel and Liam Gallagher are the two most important band members of Oasis. Meanwhile, the drummer and bassist switched so much that it doesn't really matter. But the band started off as Liam's thing. I think Noel was going to college at the time, and at one point, he and a few of his college buds went down to watch his little brother's band perform. And they weren't particularly good, but you know, Noel went up to them and said, You guys suck. But hey, at least they were supportive enough to drive out. Even though his little brother's band sucked, I think Liam saw a lot of potential in the band. So he came up to them and said, Hey, you know what you guys really need? A songwriter. You're going to be my band now. That's a power move. Yeah, he just went up to his little brother and said, Okay, champ, you did your best. Now it's my turn to start writing the song. So if he didn't like the sound, why did he like 
why did he want them to be the other you know, three-fourths of the band, as it were. I think it's a brother thing. It's a lot easier to shove yourself into a band when you are related to somebody in it, I guess. As we all know, families can only afford to have one band operating at a time. If there were multiple bands in one family, <laughs> the trips you'd have to take. One side <laughs> of town, one night. After Noel shoved himself into the band, they decided to change their name to Oasis, which in my opinion is a great name. Because you think of all of the dry, grungy music that was really popular at the time in America. You think of Alice in Chains' Dirt. You think of Nirvana and, like, the front cover of In Utero is all dry and cracked. Oasis just seems so refreshing, you know? Like I'm imagining a beautiful spring in the middle of this musical desert. No, I, I, I definitely see some nameplay happening in there. When Noel was brought onto the band, he also had a few ideas as to how they should perform their music. He mandated that they kept things as simplistic as possible. He dictated that we should only play power chords, that the bassist should only play the root note of those chords, the drummer couldn't do anything rhythmically titillating. This is like, <laughs> this is the weirdest, like, cultural eugenics I've ever heard of. We gotta keep it nice and pure. None of that weird liberal European <laughs> shit. His idea was that you had to keep everything as simple as possible so that if they ended up making a lot of money from this, they didn't put in that much effort. Little effort for max gains. So wait, hang on. If they had a hit, they had to do less work. Does that, is that to say like, all right, so, so we're going to do about four or five live shows and we're not going to take any breaks in between. There's nothing technical here. This is going to be like riding a bike. Do it with your eyes closed. Because you know how it is when you put your heart and soul into an artistic project and nobody really cares for it and you feel like you completely spent your soul on it. Yeah. It's a lot easier if you just barely pluck a few notes and make a ton of money. If you don't succeed, you know, you didn't really try that hard. But if you do, you made a ton of money doing nothing. After a year of playing very simplistic shows, something happened to the band. They were approached by what could only be considered a ghost. Uh, oh, hang on. I thought I did the haunted episodes. Yes, a husk of something that could only once have been considered a man. They were approached by what could only be considered half-man, half-ghost. A weak, crippled corpse of a man who reached his hands out and said, Hi, I'm Alan McKee of Creation Records. No! Nice to meet you. No! He's back! <laughs> He's back. Alan McKee is back and barely alive. Oh, God. Can I can I just say, first of all, so happy this is happening. But number two, really thought you were gonna say Keith Richards just like wandered out of a heroin overdose. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? What a sign you to be record label or two. No, it was Alan McGee, fresh from the wounds that were inflicted on him from oh my... trying to deal with my bloody Valentine and Kevin Shields. <laughs> There's nothing fresh about him. <laughs> He's drained. He's all pulp. Yes, he was barely alive, crawling around looking for some sort of relief, some sort of monetary gain, and he found the literal oasis, so he can finally get some money and get his life back on track. <laughs> so am I am I crazy or I thought I thought Alan McGee sold Creation Records for a meager amount of money and then Creation signed Oasis and made a bunch of money. Like, I thought, I thought Alan missed the money boat, essentially, with Oasis. Well, you see, he kind of did. <laughs> oh, good. I wanted to make sure this wasn't a happy story. <laughs> he was actually the one to have met Oasis and get them signed to Creation Records. Like, he met them and shook their hands. But due to some weird label problems with Sony, 
wanting to do like a nationwide release in America for Oasis, he didn't end up seeing a single cent from Oasis. Of course he was. Of course he was the one that had all the rights to earn some money and then didn't. <laughs> exactly. Like he was the one who showed Sony, hey, maybe these guys are worth some money. And then he didn't see a single cent of it. So Oasis go in and record their debut album, Definitely Maybe, and it is a huge success in the United Kingdom. In fact, it's the fastest selling album in the country's history. And it's kind of seen as the beginning of this Britpop movement that's a part of a bigger Cool Britannia era during the country's time in the 90s. They were trying to do a much more Brit-positive, patriotic movement with their music and media, and Oasis was one of the front-running bands in that movement. However, in America, while the album was somewhat successful, Americans just were a little bit more angsty. They didn't really see the positive, loud music as something that was that admirable. You know, they seemed more like an alternative Beatles. And Americans were much more obsessed with grunge and dark, edgy rock music from like Nirvana or Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam. But all of that was going to change once Oasis went to tour North America. The band visited our country and proceeded to raise the place. They would go into radio stations and just start cursing all over the airwaves, costing radio stations thousands of dollars. They would often fight with the bouncers at the very venues they were playing at. Well, this isn't punk. This is just being rude. <laughs> and at one point, they had the LAPD called on them at 6 o'clock in the morning because they were playing their smash hit Supersonic at the highest volume they could possibly play it at. I mean, how dare you make me decide who's the bigger asshole between Oasis and LAPD? <laughs> this culminated with a concert at the Whiskey A Go Go, the famous Californian venue. A couple days before the concert, the band was given what they thought was cocaine, which at this point was pretty much air to them. It was air to a lot of. I, <laughs> it was air to quite a many venues. <laughs> well, they all snorted it, and it turned out that it was actually a bunch of crystal meth. Yeah. Yeah, very much a step in the wrong direction. They did so much crystal meth that they didn't sleep for days. By the time they showed up at the Whiskey A Go Go, it was already doomed to failure. The band was initially introduced as the best band in the universe. Okay, you feel like you could at least warn the MC, temper their expectations. <laughs> Among the most methed out bands from the UK. However... Due to what I could only assume was some backstage squabble, only Liam came out. He announced that the fucking band aren't coming, you just got me tonight. But upon saying this, the rest of the band came out. You know, I could have construed that as like a, a sweet in the moment flopped joke <laughs> that the crowd was really eating up. But now that he's committing to it, uh, he's a psychopath. During the set, Noel would frequently play different songs from the rest of the band because he couldn't tell what simplistic song <laughs> they were playing versus him. That is such an Oasis problem. All their songs sounded the same, so he didn't know what was going on. The bassist amp blew up during the set as well. And Liam would be threatening <laughs> crowd surfers because they kept almost knocking over his microphone. It was so terrible. At one point, Liam just looked around and he saw Noel playing a completely different song. He saw the bassist explode. And he just stopped singing altogether. So you had the band just completely all over the place. And the concert finished off with Liam grabbing a tambourine and smashing it over Noel's head. 
Upon reflecting on the incident, Liam simply said Noel was lucky he didn't smash a monitor over his head. Can he pick up a monitor? I'm, I'm sorry, Noel. I, listen, I know heat of the moment, but I don't think you can do that. <laughs> oh, if you don't think you could pick up a monitor, listen to this. He also said that he wanted to pick up their drummer p- and p- beat p- his brother to death with them. <laughs> Are you... <laughs> Are we sure he didn't mean maybe he and I are going to co-op the beating? Me and the drummer will both beat him to death. But you've gone with a Bam Bam situation. Yes, I reread the article several times, and it just sounds like he wants to literally pick up their drummer by the leg and beat his brother to death with another human being. Oh, what a bunch of horrible people. (laughs) This incident is known as one of the worst gigs ever in rock and roll history. However... It made Americans realize that these guys were more than just alternative Beatles. They were true rock and roll stars. They saw all these horrible antics they were getting into and said, Oh my god, these guys are like actually dangerous. My daughter shouldn't be listening to this kind of music. These guys are awesome. Yes, they proved that they were dangerous, so the tour overall was a huge success, and it thrust Oasis into the national spotlight. However... Unhappy with his tambourine beating, Noel left the band for a brief period. Noel left the band for a brief period of time. Oh, why? What, what a baby! <laughs> exactly. You know, you're making a ton of money and then you just quit because of a little bit of a tambourine beating. However, Creation Records was fat with Oasis money, and they didn't want that money train to stop. So they sent one of their lackeys over to beg Noel to rejoin the band. Because after all, he was the mastermind behind their wildly successful, yet stupidly simplistic songs. Eventually he said, yeah, I guess you're right, I am the greatest part of the band, and he did join back in. While Americans were fascinated by the drugs and raucous behavior of Oasis, Britain wanted to focus on more friendly competition between its bands. So, the music media got together and started Battle of Britpop. And this battle was going to focus on the two most popular Britpop bands during the time, Blur and Oasis. Well, how many onstage beatings was Blur a part of? How much meth have they done? (laughs) You know, I don't really know that much about Blur. The most I know is that it's fronted by Damon Albarn, who was more than happy to join in on this battle of Britpop thing before he realized it was a fad, and he decided to team up with some comic book guy and make the gorillas. (gasps) What? That's a thing? (laughs) Yep. One day, Damon just decided that rock and roll music was old news and decided to make hip-hop and pretend to be a cartoon monkey. (laughs) However, at the time, he was very much a part of the Britpop movement with Blur. Meanwhile, Oasis frowned upon that term and actually said, we're not going to participate in any stupid battle of Britpop. We're a rock and roll band. We don't need to participate in the media's stupid circus, and they would have no part of it. Until they lost. During this battle of Britpop, they released their song Roll With It, which was the lead single of the album we're talking about, What's the Story, Morning Glory. When it was released, it was actually outsold by Blur's single, Country House. Oasis started to complain that the only reason Blur outsold them was because their single was half the price, so they were pandering towards poor people and having people buy more of their records. From a marketing perspective, I've always said the best demographic to pander to is the one that can't afford your music. (laughs) It doesn't make any logical sense. They either outsold them monetarily-wise, or they outsold them in terms of numbers of physical units. They don't win in any of those scenarios, so I don't understand what their complaint was. No, not at all. I don't think anyone really bought it either, because then they moved on to a different excuse. 
Oasis complained that Blur released different versions of Country House, so that they were like different versions, and in order for collectors to get all of the B-sides, they had to buy all of the different copies. Is that even a little bit true? Yeah, it's true. They did release alternate mixes, and like they had different B-sides and stuff. <laughs> but is it true that there is a signi- st- statistically significant group of people that were like, well, I gotta, go, I gotta buy both mixes of Country House, <laughs> otherwise my collection's ruined! Let me put it this way. It wasn't like Pokemon Red and Blue version. <laughs> It's not like kids are actually going around like the playground trading country house. Hey, did you did you get the country house with Sandshrew? Because I, I got an Oddish on mine. I was just thinking do a little yeah. swap. Actually, there were a bunch of people who would love to tie link cables to their vinyl records and trade for the different B-sides. Oh, my God. <laughs> After that excuse went over poorly, Oasis finally, in their last desperate attempt to discredit Blur said that their single, Roll With It, had malfunctioning barcodes that did not work properly, so all of the sales were not actually documented. Why does... I, you know what? Things still have barcodes. But why do I feel like the phrase barcode issues um, has not been uttered in 20 years? Um, maybe it's because... It's bullshit, and Oasis is making up something because they, they oh, lost. Oh, the you're saying? Oh, you're saying it's not a real thing, and Oasis invented it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think they did make this up. I think they were butt hurt because they lost the contest. <laughs> you would think that they would test these things before they actually sold the fucking product. I also feel like there's a lot of tax-related issues that come with not documenting your sales properly. Yeah, we had to wait to do some pay cuts over in barcode, and now we just got Tony draws the lines on the back of the album. Sometimes he just puts them too close together. It rings up as Britney Spears one more time. Everyone smelt the horseshit in all of these excuses, so finally, at one point, Noel Gallagher just flat out said he hopes that Blur catches AIDS and dies. Hey, so, um... I'm starting to think this I'm starting to think this guy's not a cool dude. <laughs> he had to eventually make a public apology for being a sore loser and saying his opponents should catch AIDS and die, but <laughs> why? <laughs> or else what? People are going to stop listening to Oasis. <laughs> you just can't stop them. Everyone loved them. No, there was a little bit of some media backlash that happened with that comment, so he had to backtrack a bit. If you went on stage, methed out and beat the hell out of your brother, I'm just saying what makes you think you need to apologize for anything after that? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. All I do know is that after th- this whole stupid competition and incident, Oasis got into the studio and finished their sophomore smash success. The softer, the catchier, the more accessible What's the Story Morning Glory. Full of ballads and softer, more lovely songs. Spencer, we listened to this album today What did you think? Well, when I went to quench my thirst, I was dying. I was dying of dehydration, and I just needed to find a little creative oasis. Um, And I bent down and just got a mouthful of, uh, it wasn't water, it was Vaseline. Um, Ooh. And I, yeah, it was terrible. Uh, Oh, my God. It was really deceiving. It turned out it was a mirage. Jesus. Turns out it was uh, it was a huge mirage. No, there's such a generic sound. Um, And I can't fault anyone for liking them because... Saying that everything is is samey, um, regardless of it being power chord chugging and directly admitting, yeah, we want to be as simple as possible. Despite all of that, saying that a band is samey is the most generic critique you can give of anything. I've said it on the Kanye episode. Um, it, the bands I love, people will listen to those and say, oh, well, it's too samey. It's like, yeah, if you haven't listened to something for too long, it's it's easy to say it's samey, but... 
Um, do I think it holds up? I mean, yeah, it, it definitely could. It could probably, it probably has the same. Well, yeah, in that it won't deteriorate because it's polished simplicity. It's it's just a good melody is all it boils down to. Like, could this do well on the radio? Yeah, I, I'm sure it. I'm sure it holds up as well as it did when it came out. Now, would I have liked it when it came out? No, but. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. They are really the typical 90s rock band in a lot of ways. And I can see why a lot of people hate them, because they just perform strong hooks. There's not a lot more to attach to with Oasis other than its melodies. However, I am somebody who really loves a strong melody, you know. I love a lot of experimentation with the Beatles and everything like that. But at the end of the day, I go towards that hook. I think I have more revere and admiration for the Beatles, um, oh, significantly absolutely. less after the episode you made me go through. But, um, <laughs> but no, the Beatles, I, I can I can totally respect for being uh, creative geniuses around their experimental albums in the, in the late stages of their career. I mean, those were uh, gifts to the music landscape. I mean, those I someone can say that's the Godfather of X Y Z genre, and I won't roll my eyes because no, it really was. Um, Oasis is uh, cookie cutter bullshit. <laughs> oh my god! Oh well, I, I actually do enjoy Oasis, but I do see all the faults that a lot of people throw at them. At, at the end of the day, uh, it's something that I really gravitate towards because I love alternative rock, and '90s rock is something that I actually do hold near and dear to my heart. It's what I really grew up on. I don't know, maybe they're just a guilty pleasure, but I still enjoy songs like Don't Look Back mm -hmm. in Anger, Wonderwall, Love Champagne Supernova. They're just something that I enjoy, and I don't really have that strong of an argument for them, especially after researching them and seeing how they just wanted to make simple songs for easy money, and I'm only really a fan of the first two albums. Once you start going into their later discography, it just keeps becoming more and more apparent that they just didn't really care. They just wanted to make those smash hits and get a lot of money, and that does leave a sour taste in my mouth, even though I enjoyed these first two albums quite a bit. Is it, There's a weird cognitive dissonance happening when I listen to this music, because the vocals have a, um annoying... Uh, angsty cadence that should match up with the grunge that Britpop was was waging the Cold War against, um, but yet the music behind it does not match that. It's like it's trying to sound angsty, but, but it just can't get the music to agree. And so in lieu of, you know, writing the music to kind of match that vocal tone, they instead cranked the treble so hard because they were like, this is what angry sounds like, yeah? <laughs> yeah, the production is just... There's a lot of modern rock albums during the 90s and beyond where they would just compress the hell out of mm -hmm. it. And maybe it's part of the remaster. Oh, maybe. that I did, I did listen to the most recent remaster, so that could, that could be it. I listened to it too, and I didn't really listen to the original, but from what I could gather... It already was kind of compressed to hell to begin with, and I think the remaster only made it worse. Anyway, I think we've wrapped up our discussion on What's the Story Morning Glory. I think it's time for us to talk about the demise of Oasis now. Of course. What big controversy, Jack? Tell me. Well, there isn't really one big controversy. 
The band continued on recording and performing up until 2009. So, you know, they were around for quite a bit longer. However, cracks did begin to show within the band around the time they started recording their third album, Be Here Now. You know, the band was hugely successful after What's the Story Morning Glory, so they were hanging out with people like Johnny Depp, who would go on to play slide guitar on their third album for some fucking what? reason. Of course Johnny Depp plays slide guitar. <laughs> <laughs> However, during the time this album was being recorded, Britpop was on the decline. Blur had decided to focus on more artistic alternative rock instead of participating in petty band fighting with Oasis, and Oasis's management started catching on that the band were a bunch of assholes. <laughs> they didn't want anyone to catch on that these guys were assholes and stop buying their records. Sabotage. I say let them flop. To prevent any bad press from showing up and ruining Oasis's fleeting, positive British public image, Be Here Now singles were given very little to no radio play, so nobody could hear what the new album was going to sound like, and journalists were forced to sign gag orders not to say anything about Oasis. Or else what? what? How is music press beholden to labels? I'm so confused. <laughs> I guess it was just because they weren't giving them anything to work with, so they couldn't write anything bad. You know, they couldn't hear the new album, they couldn't hear any news with the band, so they were just at a standstill. This media bridge burning caused irreparable damage between whatever positive vibes the UK press and music industry still had for the band, and their third album tanked. Wait, hold, hold on. Check my notes. Uh, I, I got that completely wrong. It was a smash success and sold faster than the other no, two. Oh, stop it. No. <laughs> In an age where you had to buy music, these these stats always blow my mind. Where someone was like, yeah, I'm willing to throw like, I'm willing to kick 20 bucks to buy that thing. I haven't really heard yet. Haven't heard it on the radio. Don't know what's on it. It also received incredibly positive reviews. But producer Owen Morris actually did blow the whistle on the band and admitted that they were still being assholes. He said that despite the gag orders and the lack of press harping on the band, they were still having tons of arguments and they were constantly high all of the time. The band was only making this third album to make money. They had no artistic integrity, they didn't care about the music, and they just winged it. However, even though the album received positive reviews at the time, current views reflect this album's rushed and hushed release as the beginning of the end of the band. Indifference and drugs led to songs that were worse than the unreleased B-sides that they threw in the garbage for the last two albums. At least according to Noel. It's a disc it's an incongruous statement because I, I thought the whole point was they didn't care at all. Sink no, invest no emotion in it, and you cannot be disappointed. He went on to say, just because you sell lots of records, it doesn't mean to say you're any good. Look at Phil Collins. Oh, fuck you. God damn it. <laughs> the brotherly disputes would keep going on and on throughout their career. At one point during a recording of MTV Unplugged, Liam decided to sit out due to him having a sore throat. However, the sore throat didn't stop him from drinking beer and smoking cigarettes in the balcony of the venue they were recording at and throughout the entirety of the concert, and he was heckling his brother Noel while he was singing and recording this concert. <clears throat> What's some familial bullying, you know? Liam would often sit out of shows, and he would flip off Noel during guitar solos and just start throwing up alcohol all over the stage. He was disgusting. I, again, I don't know how either of these two... Feel like they can they can get away with anything. Oasis's popularity waned with time. 
Noel left the band several times until finally everything fell apart in 2009, 18 years after their inception. Jack, that's the ultimate controversy, is that they couldn't even go out with a bang. They had to disappoint me even harder by just going out weekly. Three underwhelming albums later, the band released Dig Out Your Soul in 2008, and it was actually seen as a bit of a reform for the band. They were starting to do more psychedelic experiments, they seemed a little bit more reinvigorated with their music, a gig was cancelled in mid-August of 2009 due to Liam contracting laryngitis. Noel, however, had a different spin on it. He said that he was out because of a hangover, and Liam was so offended that he actually filed a lawsuit against them. Backstage a few days later, Liam threw a plum at Noel and started wielding his brother's guitar like a battle axe. It's the softest <laughs> fruit you could probably <laughs> chuck at a person. What? I... I, you could, he threw a handful of blueberries at It could him. at least be like a harder fruit, like an apple. Yeah, no, that's a violent... Jack, top three fruits you don't want to get hit with. Go. Oh, shit. Oh, God, what are fruits? Um, apple. Mm-hmm. Hard, yeah. yeah. Dense fruit, got Green it. apple. Oh, it's just three apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I would say coconut. Yeah. Like pineapple. Yeah, something big, um, like a pumpkin or something. Uh, Pumpkins, I don't think, is a fruit, but... Yeah, no, they're Is they're it really? Yeah, they got seeds yeah. in them or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, you need, just need, like, a really big fruit, like a pumpkin. Something dense. Uh, you know, but I think that's an appropriate denseness for its size. Like, if you said big-ass strawberry, like, that would still... <laughs> I mean, pear. Pear is a really Ooh, tough one. Yeah. That's a hard... An uh, unripe pear. Or something like an orange yeah. or a clementine or something. Because then you, <laughs> when you catch that one, when you catch that throw, you can't even turn around and eat it. You have to peel it first. Exactly. Plum, you just bite right into it out of spite. Yeah, yeah, you have to make them work for it. Hey, notice how Plum didn't approach the top 20. <laughs> I'm just saying, if there was real malice behind it, it would have picked a better fruit. Exactly. I think we're glossing over the fact that he also picked up a guitar and started wielding it like a battle axe. Yeah, I feel like we did gloss over that for the fruit discussion. So battle axe guitar is a real metalhead move, and I do think they're the kings of rock and roll now. Oh, you finally do. You finally have accepted them as true rock and rollers. Oh, that's too bad, because this was the last straw. Yes, both of the brothers decided that this was way too dangerous for them to keep going on. This is not, <laughs> the investment has not paid off. This has proved to be a very lethal venture. <laughs> yes, both brothers eventually ended up breaking up and the band ceased to exist. Both Noel and Liam Gallagher went on to do other musical solo projects that I honestly don't give two shits about, and Oasis is as good as death. The Gallagher family reunions must be so disappointing for those other family members. They're like, oh, I, I hope I get to see me famous, me famous nephews, Liam and Noel. <laughs> Jack, this has been a, um, this has been a delightful romp through Britpop. I gotta say, it's a genre I've never thoroughly dipped my toes into. And I love that this harkens back, does a little crossover, ties back to our roots with My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. If anybody's new to this show, go back and listen to that first episode. It's a very good one, in my opinion. Yeah, I love that episode, even though my mic quality was absolute garbage. You know what? That's a good point. We might have a lot of music snobs who listen to this podcast, and, and we often take for granted that they probably have very picky tastes and audio quality so <laughs> actually i'll just say it was on purpose you know it's a lo-fi indie sort of thing i'm uh paying respects to daniel johnston <laughs> hey no 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 no! new sincerity new sincerity exactly new sincerity post postmodernism. oh rest in peace daniel johnson 
God rest his soul. Spencer, is there anything you'd like to plug at the end of this podcast? Well, Jack, uh, if you're curious, you can actually check in the description of this podcast episode uh, links to my other shows, including the Cock and Bull podcast, Cooperative Effort. Um, I'll even leave a link to this in case people don't know what they're listening to. They're like, well, what is this show? Um, simultaneously, I encourage you to uh, uh, check out my brother's show, Mark's Madness. Uh, not that they're hurting for viewers, but I think he deserves some fresh faces over there. Uh, also, feel free to search if you can't play something nice on YouTube. Uh, you'll get uh, the latest video on my channel. Uh, it's a game-related uh, series I'm trying to roll out where I play through a video game all the way. I track every time I lose. You know, if I oh I lose a life or if I get a game over or some shit like that. Whatever metric applies to that game. And for every time I fail, I have to say one nice thing about the game. Uh, my first foray into it was Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, uh, the last JRPG of that series, uh, and my favorite game of all time. Mine as well. It's a little offbeat for what I have in mind. You know, I might dip into Dark Souls, Cuphead, notoriously hard games, and really flex my brain, my, flex my optimism to see how many nice things I really can force myself <laughs> to say about something. I look forward to helping you with Dark Souls. Jack, you got anything to plug? Well, if you guys want to recommend me any album, we should discuss. You can find my page over on Rate Your Music. I am under the name The Dissonant Opinion. There you can find all my general music opinions, and you can recommend me albums for me to research and discuss with Spencer. This episode was kind of brought to you by Captain Puffin. He has given us quite a few albums for us to discuss. Friend of the show, we love him. Yeah, he recommended the Beatles' White Album, Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask Replica, and kind of recommended Be Here Now by Oasis, but I kind of took liberties to change it to What's the Story. We thank you very much, Captain Puffin, for your contributions to the show. And that's all I got. Spencer, what are we going to be listening to for next episode? Tune in next time. Speaking of which, because Jack and I are going to dive into uh, a little, a little soiree on Green Day. Oh, shit. Can I, can I just quit now? Yeah. No, no, oh, no. It's too oh, late. Fuck. It's too late, buddy. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to quit. No, you can't. You don't get to. You don't get to. Put in those earbuds. <laughs> they're, they're fine. They're really fine. I, I've kind of grown accustomed to some of their albums. All right. So which one are we covering? Well, that's the thing, Jack, is I'm going to go against the Blunderphonics grain. This one's going to be a moment of mystery. Oh We're, in fact, going to listen to a couple tracks live on the recording. I mean, not that we can, re that's not legal, we can't release it, but we're still going to have to hear it, we're going to hear it and talk about it in the moment. Oh, sweet Christ, a surprise. Off the beaten cuff, this is going to be a real wild bonus. Uh, thank you so much, Spencer, for making me terrified about the next episode. <laughs> and thank you all so much for listening in on this week's episode of Blunder Phonics, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day in the champagne supernova in the sky. Rock and roll, bitches. Thank you.